This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. Welcome back to Dollars and Change on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm Nick Ashburn. And I'm Catherine Klein. And we're here on Sirius XM 132. We have been speaking with Justin George, who's a staff writer at the Marshall Project, and we were talking about a bill that's uh, coming up in Congress again called the First Step, Step Act around prison reform. And so we're actually going to be continuing that conversation, but shifting gears slightly. Uh, our next guest is Brian Hamilton, the founder of Inmates to Entrepreneurs, an organization whose mission is to assist people with criminal backgrounds in starting their own business and providing them resources and mentorship. Brian, welcome to the show. Yeah. Hey, guys. How are you doing today? Good. How are you? Doing great. Doing great. Great. So, Brian, you have quite an interesting background, something here at Wharton that we, I think most people would recognize. You were a, you've been a successful entrepreneur with a financial technology company. First, tell us a little bit about that. Uh, sure. I ran SageWorks, um, which basically did financial analysis for financial institutions and CPA firms. And we did that for about 20 years, and I recently sold the company. So I'm on to uh, kind of new things. Exactly. So that transition, you know, we we often hear that people, you know, they find professional and maybe commercial success. They, you know, they sit on a board of a nonprofit. They, they're philanthropic. But you seem to have a real passion point around this topic of recidivism. So can you help us better understand where that comes from and why you transitioned once you sold the company? Yeah, sure. Actually, it's kind of funny as you're talking, I'm thinking about it. I took off three weeks after SageWorks and I did a cross-country vaunt. And and after three weeks, I was, I was going crazy. So <laughs> You needed gonna, something else to do. Yeah, yeah. The idea of retiring or whatever at my age was <laughs> – that wasn't going to work. So didn't you – so I – I, Profit board. Yeah, you know, sitting on boards is fine. I, I mean, commend, commend people who do it, but a lot of times, you know, those are um, – not ceremonial, but it's just not my style. So um, getting to the uh, subject, though, um, I really started doing the prison work about 26 years ago as a volunteer. A buddy of mine, Reverend Harris, uh, was doing ministry work at local prisons here in the Raleigh-Durham area, and he was just a friend, really. <clears throat> and I tagged along with him to a couple of prisons. I had never been there. Um, I was, I think, maybe 27, 28 years old, actually, as I recall, and it was, of course, you know, not shocking, but it was definitely uh, revealing uh, getting into an actual prison, talking to people there. Um, and what really struck me at the time, because I've really been an entrepreneur my whole life, um, is talking to uh, some of the people there and just asking them, hey, what are you going to do? Small talk stuff. You know, what are you going to do when you get out of prison? And some of the people would say, of course, I want to get a job. And I remember thinking to myself, and of course, I still think this way. I mean, I didn't say it, <laughs> but um, wow, that's going to be tough with a criminal background. You know, how are you going to get to a criminal background check? And as an entrepreneur, my view is, you know, if the system's not working for you, go around it. Well, that's what's beautiful about entrepreneurism. You guys at Wharton know that. I mean, I know that's a, a big deal there. Uh, that's what's beautiful about our system and, and the overall system um, as a country is that if a particular a system set is not working for you. In this case, the job or employment market. Just go around it and be an, an entrepreneur. So Reverend Harris and I started teaching courses a long time ago 
to uh, prison, uh, to you know, at prisons, um, and basically teaching people how to start their own businesses, their own small sort of low capital businesses. And um, you know, it's been a nice journey. But of course, I can do this now full time because of our liquidity event uh, in May, which is wonderful. And and uh, so so, how are you conceiving of um, you know of this program? Is this a uh, you know is inmates to entrepreneurs focused uh, a great deal in you know while people are incarcerated? Right. Are you hoping to serve right. people's needs when they're released? And how do you and I, and, I, and I'll ping you now, but I I'll, we can come back to it because I'm, I'm tackling a few different questions uh, together. But I'm very interested in the selection process: who gets into your program and who doesn't. Right. Well, that actually a really good question. So there's three components. First, we continue to go to prisons, and we teach three or four hour workshops in how to start a business, and I mean basic stuff. By the way, I went to Duke, not Wharton, <laughs> which is a different story <laughs> as to why I didn't go to Wharton, but. Um, you know, as an entrepreneur, uh, as you know, the business schools do a, do a better job than they used to in teaching entrepreneurship, but they still, you know, kind of go about teaching it around, you know, here's how you develop a business plan and all, stuff that's not always relevant. So our course is in prison. That's the first leg is, you know, they're very, very practical. How do you get an EIN number? Mm-hmm. Um, what type of business do you start? How do you get capital? Do you get capital? How do you get your first customer? The second part is when people get out of prison, Catherine, um, um, then we, ha- we have like an eight-week course. It's more in-depth, and we have mentors. We've got about uh, roughly 70 mentors right now, who te- all entrepreneurs, who teach outside of the prison. So uh, when people have been judicially involved, they can contact us, and they can get coursework outside um, of you know, prison. And, of course, the third leg is that we have mentoring. Um, and to be honest, actually, I forgot the second le- the second leg of your question. <laughs> um, so, well, so, well, I was asking. Uh, uh, the first part was uh, who uh, you know is this in prison? Is this out of prison? It sounds like you're doing uh, you're doing yeah. both. Yeah. Um, and yeah. um, you know, I would. Uh, and then my my second question was around this selection, selection. of how you know who's who's right. uh, and I'll and let me just. Um, Say that there's some, you know, interestingly different approaches and and kind of theories about this. Right. There are, you know, if you look at some of the leading programs that are doing instruction in prisons, and you know, the ones, the the ones I know best are the Bard Prison Initiative with you know Bard College, which is uh, literally giving. Uh, Folks who are in prisons uh, are you know, getting access to college courses. They're taught by college professors. Right. These courses are not watered down. You know, I, it is. Right. Right. Nick, you would be teaching, you know, um, fourth year German and reading traditional German you know, literature in in prison. So, Jawohl. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, so this that's a that's a selection, and they're getting the the cream of the crop. It's very interesting, and and you know, people are going on to get. Um, college degrees in prison or perhaps when they, they finish. Um, there's a similar model for code for college. Um, no, not code for um, uh, the last mile, teaching coding in prisons. Right. And, right. Um, yeah, yeah you know, these are these are phenomenal programs. Um, and uh, they, you know, they'll get hundreds of applicants and take a very small sample, right. um, which yeah, makes all I sorts of wanna... sense for talent. Sorry. 
yeah, which makes also, you know, lots of sense for talent, but maybe a challenge in the question of, well, you know, are you reaching, how broad is your reach? So it can be, right, curious about how you navigate that. Yeah, that's a great question. So um, it's exactly what we don't want to do. For example, and I don't want to go too wide with my answer, if we were really great at predicting who's going to be successful as an entrepreneur, we'd Hmm. be in the venture capital business. And even the, those guys can't do it. You know, I mean, if you look at the typical VC firm, I mean, you know, you, you probably know this out of 10 deals they do, you know, maybe there's one home run, but there's a lot of foul balls. So we don't want to put ourselves in that position at all. I think that screening process is com- probably appropriate for education programs that are solely based on, you know, classwork and skill sets that are. Um, sort of technical, probably, mm-hmm, I would think, mm-hmm. or probably suitable for colleges, too, I guess. Maybe, maybe not. But we definitely don't want to do that as entrepreneurs because we can't predict who's going to be successful. So it's really an interesting question because we have to, um, we have to live with the fact that our failure rate is going to be high. Sure. So, for example, getting to some numbers – of 100 people who take a course with us, we our graduation rate will probably be about 40%. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then of those folks, about half will start businesses. But we're self-funded, so you know we don't have to. And you know my heart really goes out to anybody working in any of these systems, by the way. I don't want to act like we're better. We definitely don't want – I don't want to even remotely portray that. But because we're self-funded, we don't have to go to – people and say, we have an 80% success rate. And in and, and being an entrepreneur, I, I just think that would be unrealistic anyway. So the point is we go wide. And, and I think I just want to say one other thing, and it's vitally important. Uh, I was listening to your, your last um, um, segment. Sure. Um, I think the term judicially involved is, you know, that's the kind of the new way to phrase all this. But we have to remember, it's not just the people who have been incarcerated, Catherine. It's People who have had any sort of interaction with the judicial system, for example, you know, we can discern between murder and a DUI, and we can definitely discern that there should be different punishments. But my big fear today, I didn't didn't know if you guys have covered this, is suppose you have a DUI, suppose you haven't been in prison, but you've been judicially involved. We have this company called Google. Yep. where I can type your name in and your record comes up in perpetuity. And so I don't want to get on a soapbox, but to me that's the real injustice. I think the efforts around the First Step Act and I think the ban the box initiatives are wonderful, but until we address uh, employer screening um, through uh, social media and stuff like that, I don't think we're even denting the problem. But anyway, in short answer to your question, because of all these factors – uh, we want to keep the net real wide. You're listening to Dollars and Change on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, and we're talking to Brian Hamilton, the founder of Inmates to Entrepreneurs. And Brian, um, you know, I'm I'm okay with your soapbox, at least <laughs> discussing it, because I think it is a really interesting topic. But, you know, you have decided, as Catherine mentioned, several other types of programs that focus on the, the prison right. population. You've, you've decided to focus on entrepreneurism and, or, and, right. and, and really focusing – entrepreneurism. What am I talking about? Entrepreneurship. And, right. you know, people who right. are interested in starting a business. So as you also mentioned and what we also teach our students, like 
not everyone can be or necessarily right. should be an entrepreneur. But yet right. I would say there are lots of things to learn from trying to start your own business yeah. or going through some sort of entrepreneurship curriculum. What are things that you would tell our listeners that, you know, hey, even if you fail, these are the types of things you're going to learn? Yeah. Well, first, your point is really well taken and very true. Um, I'm, you know, oh, again, let me go to the answer and then I'll give you some backdrop on Great. it. But they learn skills. On, well, first of all, let's take the lens from being an employee and being an employer. That's a big takeaway, right? What do employers go through? What all the stresses, the risks, um, the necessary steps to start a business. So even if you're just going to be a better employee as a result of taking our course, I'd say that's really important. Um, the basics of business. Um, I don't want the next one. The next one's probably going to sound bad. And I, I don't know how to phrase it. So you have to give me a little latitude, but I think, you know, going through a course curriculum and having the discipline to show up and, mm -hmm. you know, graduate from our programs. We have graduations. We take them seriously. We take our, um, we view it like college, you know, but going through that and, you know, feeling good that you completed something there's, but there's a lot of soft skills on uh, that you can pick up in our program that I think are really important. And by the way, going back to the other point, I, you know, a lot of people in prison, as you know, I mean, really, just most, the vast majority, um, are from bad backgrounds, you know. Yeah. Um, they've had really bad backgrounds. And I think, uh, you, know, you, you know, these adverse conditions that they face when they're really young. And I mean, I've, look, I've been doing this uh, as a volunteer for 26 years, but every day I learn something. So... I don't want this to come across like in the wrong way, but the bottom line is that um, most of us, maybe even listening, you know, I, I don't know, definitely most people at Wharton, Duke and Harvard and wherever, we've had the benefits of at least people who have coached us. We have to understand that the people coming into the prison system by far have not had those advantages. That does not mean, by the way, that they should not be held accountable for their actions which we also have to remember because that's another form of bigotry in some ways is to think that people can't are not accountable. Mm -hmm. But we basically focus on, look, we're going to help you start a business if it's for you, if you have a modicum of talent, and we see where it goes. But, you know, the employment system, is it going to work for inmates or people who have been judicially involved? I'll tell you guys, I don't want to be morose on the program, but I've been doing this for 26 years and the dial hasn't moved much. I'm but people are, at least are trying. There's more of a national consciousness around it, so I have hope. That's it, right? But again, going back to the social media um, discrimination, but those barriers are so large right now, uh, and not well known, by the way. Right, right. Um, this is a your field is finance, so I mean, you, you again, you probably know this, but in the United States, um, you can declare bankruptcy, and within ten years, there's there's no record of it. It's not in your credit report. You get a chance to start again. Uh, if you have a DUI or you, you know, have some run-in with our judicial system, you know, your record is just permanently out there. Forget about ban the box, you know. Right. So, again, I want to. Yeah, no, I think these are, these are you know, really important issues. And, you know, as you're saying, uh, people who are coming out of the prison system or who have been judiciously involved face tremendous barriers to getting employed. Uh, and uh, you know the screening the screening systems that are going to ask are you know have you ever been arrested not 
convicted, just arrested, right. um, you know, are going yeah, to... Uh, or, or, if you don't mind, in the HR departments, let's run a Google search. Yeah. You know, and they, we can say that's not legal, but that's basically what all companies do. That's right. the first thing they do. Sure. And, and now, you know, they don't even look at the applications. So, right. Anyway, one yeah. stone at a time. That's the way you have to look at all this. Um, so, you know, Brian, I'm really interested if you could, uh, um, well, let me stick with a, f- a few, I have so many different questions for you, but let me let me go to the question on um, the entrepreneurs who are coming through your program. You've just des- described the fundamentals, um, but I'm, I'm also wondering with your, uh, your background and your resources, are you uh, investing in these companies? Are you giving people seed capital? Um, you know, uh, are you putting your money where your mouth is, I suppose? No, we're not. Well, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> we're definitely spending a lot of money to teach as many people as we can. Mm-hmm. But we, uh, every entrepreneur that I'm aware of who's a mentor for us has started uh, with a very low amount of capital, less than $5,000, mo- most often less than $1,000. So we are big believers in low capital businesses, and that's how you start. We don't want this huge barrier out mm-hmm. there that you got to go get funding that doesn't exist. So, so or that what doesn't easily exist? Yeah, so, what kinds, yeah. of, uh, what kinds of what kinds of companies have people you know launch? Um, lawn services, tree service businesses, window washing, house cleaning, mm-hmm. um, car detailing, kind of a lot of work that people don't like to do. We right. and and those businesses can be started with very little capital and. And by the way, again, I don't want to – I hope this doesn't come across as a lecture, but, like, I, I came from a background of scarcity. I mean, not – you know, I had a mom and dad in the house, and dad was definitely a, um, fundamental to my upbringing and coached me and all this other stuff. But I came from scarcity, and we have to realize that. And, and I'd rather someone start a low-capital business to do what I did and sell it and then just sort of move up the line – um, I started with landscaping. I went to coin laundromats. I sold Sageworks was founded <laughs> from the sale of coin laundry proceeds. Wow. So again, um, which I've reminded some of our investors about, by the way, from, and employees from time to time. But um, I guess the point is that we want to keep the barriers as low as possible. So we teach people how to start a painting business with vir- really no capital, you know, and, and you can do that. Right, and I've done it, you know, and all of our mentors have done it as well. So, so uh, talk to us about. I mean, you have this fascinating background, as you just described. I mean, you know, and, and you described growing up with a background of scarcity, then you know, business success, selling your business, um, and you, you know, you sold it in in just the last year. This right. is a a big transition, though. You've been working in prisons for a long time as a volunteer. What are you learning about launching a program? This is very early days, you know, for the um, yeah. for, for your yeah. program. Um, what have you learned in the last year? Yeah, well, that's you know, I want to keep applauding you for your questions, but they they are really good. Um, that it's interesting. One thing I've learned that the scaling of our enterprise is similar to to the scaling of a tech company mm. or any company. There's you know the same types of issues around people and organization and very similar, actually. That's the one thing I've learned. I thought it would be a little easier, <laughs> <laughs> but that's not true. <laughs> 
Yeah. What would you say are one of the, some of the big differences? I mean, we we have people on our show from nonprofit backgrounds, from for-profit backgrounds. We teach our students who are coming from maybe they're transitioning from education. They right. were a teacher in a classroom right. to coming to business school or they're doing finance and now they want to do social impact. What are some of those differences? Well, I'm trying to reduce this down to the eight things that just popped in my head. But <laughs> the first one that comes to mind is sort of in the nonprofit world, the goals are a little fuzzier. Mm-hmm. I I used to think it was kind of like a, just sort of throwaway comment by the the capitalists of our society, and I'm one of those, <laughs> about, you know, um, the goals around profitability and sales and metrics and all that being important. But I, but I will say, I, I have to say for people coming into the nonprofit world, I'm, I'm struggling with that a little bit. In the for-profit world, your goals are clear. Your wins are clearer. In the nonprofit world, they're a little, de- at least in our business, they're definitely fuzzier. So that's that's tough. It's hard to get used to that. I mean, I'm I'm still struggling with that. I think you bring up a really good point. I, I would maybe disagree slightly to say the goals aren't necessarily unclear. At least for me, the wins, like what defines yeah. success, yeah. sometimes yeah. can be yeah. more difficult because. You know, is it yeah. one person that becomes a, a great, entre- a successful entrepreneur from your program? Is that what success is? Or is it, right. you know, there's so many different types of ways you can measure success within your business or not Absolutely. within your, your your program, Inmates to Entrepreneurs? Yeah, and we can I'd probably get into the back end of the interview, but we could talk about, let me, let me just tell you a story, actually. Just a couple but, of seconds. So, okay, well... My point is I was working with a, a woman, a Nikki, and for a couple of years, and just nothing was happening, and she had a lot of personal problems that were not – they just came, came at her, and she's a single mom. And after two – I just didn't – I really didn't know whether it was going to work for her business, but you know, she, two years later, we just recently won a contract, and she's building her company. And So I think you're right, Nick. You have to take joy in the success you do get, and you're, you know, it's – um, it's more like baseball, you know what I mean, where you're not going to get a hit every time you're at the plate. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much, Brian, for joining us. We've been speaking with Brian Hamilton, the founder of Inmates to Entrepreneurs, talking about this program around recidivism and entrepreneurship. This is Dollars and Change on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School on Sirius XM 132. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. 